0: Well, before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. This week, as we were reading the Torah portion, I I thought didn't I just read about these troubling times a week ago and a week ago and a week ago? And I thought, oh no, not again. Trouble again. And I I thought, wow, these are examples, continuing examples of problems of the heart that are manifest in bad behavior. But it's not that we need to control our behavior, it's we need to get a hold of our hearts. And we need to bring our hearts under the authority of God and allow God to do an amazing work uh, to circumcise our hearts and to change our hearts. But it's not just an episodic uh, need that we have. You know, for this moment, if we don't go deeply in the changes that God has in mind for us, we'll keep revisiting issues that we thought were behind us. And that's what we see in, in this week's Torah portion, I think we're seeing continuing issues of negativity and complaining. The, the children of Israel have elevated fetching to an art form, and they, they're engaging in rebellion, and they hate the food and are complaining about the food. They're thirsty. They're exasperated. And this time, as we read, Moses gets pulled into this bad attitude as well. Moses who has been above it and has been an effective intercessor, an effective leader falls into the very negativity and he becomes upset with the people who are upset. Maybe that's happened to you, it's happened to me where I get frustrated with people who are frustrated. And disappointments that other people are having that just sort of either ooze or spill or spray on others, can cause me to be disappointed. Maybe you can relate to that. And we see that Moses' mind actually turns away from the Lord. He's tossed around by his own dark emotions and his own reaction to the emotions and bad behavior of the people around him. And he doesn't even think, what does this mean to the Lord? He's thinking about the situation. He's exasperated with the people. They're exasperated with him and their situation. They're exasperated with the Lord. But Moses isn't thinking, Lord, what's your perspective? And Moses just gets upset. And he is led by his own emotions and his thoughts become dark. Moses forgets he's called to be an example to the people and to show the goodness and holiness of God in all situations. It's a tough calling. And he does not he does not even think about that. And if it can happen to Moses, it can happen to any one of us. He has a tough calling to represent the holiness of God to people who aren't always holy. We also have a share in the calling, and it is tough for us. But I can tell you this, when we, when we learn how to live in a way that is led by the Spirit of God and is pleasing to the Lord, amazing things can happen. But let's look at the situation. You can turn to Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse one from the Torah portion, it says, the people of Israel, the whole community, entered that Sin Desert in the first month. They stayed in Kadesh, and there Miriam died, and there she was buried. So Miriam, the older sister of Moses, the one who had looked out for him when he was just an infant, and the one who was uh, in Israel a prophetess, she dies. And so Aaron and Moses, their families are in mourning, and yet while they're trying to mourn, there's a balagon, there's craziness all around them. And the people are torn with confusion, they're thirsty and they're hungry, they're more than cranky. My mother would always say when, uh, when I or, or one of my siblings or all of us were misbehaving, she'd say, well, they're cranky because they're hungry. Yeah, if you feed cranky people, it doesn't really help. Believe me. It's, it just makes them larger cranky people. Verse two, because the community had no water, they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, we wish we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Speaking of Korah. And that rebellion, the ones who got swallowed up, we wish we had just gone out with them. Or the others who had died in previous times. The people quarreled and said, we wish we had died. So on one hand, they're saying, we wish we were dead already. And then (laughs) you can see the confusion, verse four. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert to die there? You say, we wish we were dead. You think we should die? That craziness, that double-minded confusion is haunting them. And then, here's, here's blame. You know, in, this reminds me of the Soviet Union where somebody is always to blame. There's always a guilty party. Even if they weren't there, even if they didn't do anything, you must find someone to blame. This is what they say to Moses. Why did you make us leave Egypt? (laughs) Why did you do this terrible thing? We had it so good when they were beating us, enslaving us, ripping our infant children out of our hands and killing them. It was such a good time. This kind of spiritual amnesia haunts people who are who are just stirred up and torn by negativity. You brought us to this terrible place without seed, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, or even water to drink. Now look what Moses and Aaron do. They leave the assembly, they go to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fall on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You know, it's so important when we're in trouble that we seek the Lord because his presence and his guidance can make such a difference. And in fact, the Lord visits with Moses and Aaron and tells them what to do. Reminds me just a little bit of that situation of Budapest. Do this. Ah. Numbers chapter 20, verse seven. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, assemble the community, you and Aaron, your brother, and before their eyes, Speak to the rock or tell the rock to produce its water. Say this with me tell the rock. rock. I don't know what you tell a rock in a situation like that, but Moses understood what that meant. Tell the rock to produce its water, and you will bring them water out of the rock and thus enabled the community and their livestock to drink. So even though the community was torn by all this negativity and being led by fetching and even rebellion and anger and hostility, the Lord is still ready to show mercy at that moment and give them water. Verse nine, Moses took the staff from the presence of the Lord as he had ordered him. And then the next word, the first word in verse 10, is such an important word. But. But. After Moses and Aaron had assembled a community in front of the rock, Moses said to them, listen here, you rebels. Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? This is how you can tell Moses is in bad shape because that's exactly what he's supposed to do. You rebels, we're supposed to bring you water out of a rock. Well, the Lord said, bring water out of the rock. Just talk to it. Talk to the rock, not the people. Moses raised his hand. He hit the rock twice with his staff. Water flowed out in abundance and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust in me, so as to cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land I have given them. Well, Moses wasn't mindful of his greatest assignment and that is to show the holiness of God to the people of Israel in all situations at all times so that they would be drawn to the holy God of Israel. He wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about how frustrated and angry he was with people who were frustrated and angry. And he forgot his leadership responsibility to consider his effect on the people he was leading. Let's go to the next chapter, Numbers 21, verses four through six. Then they traveled from Mount Hor on the road toward the Sea of Suf in order to go around the land of Edom, but the people's tempers grew short because of the detour. So they're not hungry, they're not thirsty, They have something to eat, they have water to drink, but they are angry. You see, they're still dealing with their anger, and and this is why it's so important for us to, to pay attention to issues in our lives that we think are behind us, but that resurface because we really haven't gotten to the root. Our heart hasn't changed about those matters. There will be a time when we have yet one more opportunity to experience the thing that triggers our own problems. And that's when we may be saying, why, Lord? The Lord's answer is, because I'm trying to get rid of this thing in your heart. So again, I bring you to this moment. But when we're close to the Lord and our hearts aren't open, we don't experience those moments in a way that, values what God is trying to do. Instead, we're angry, we're disappointed. We allow all of the emotion of negativity to lead us. And thus, we don't get the benefits. We don't really change. If the situation changes a little bit and improves enough, we think everything's okay again. But we haven't changed. It's so important for us to have a different attitude. But you can see the people's attitude remains the same. Verse 5. The people spoke against, here it's explicit, against God and against Moses. Why did both of you bring us up out of Egypt? To die in the desert? There's no real food. There's no water, even though they have water, right? There's not water, but they have water. There's not food, but they have food. But they're saying there's no real food and we're sick of this miserable stuff we're eating. So nothing's really changed in their hearts and in their attitudes. And it doesn't go well for Israel. We read about this and we can see how we as, as normal human beings can be subject to these terrible emotions that can mislead us and can steal from us what God is wanting to do. You know what the Lord wanted to do? He wanted to provide for Israel in extraordinary ways so that everyone would say God is trustworthy. You can really depend on him. It's not according to our resources, it's according to his mercy and his goodness. And he will sustain us. That's what the Lord had in mind. He wanted Israel to come out through this situation ready to do even more for God that would affect the whole world for good. Now there's a picture in Isaiah about how the Lord wants us to live. And I want you to turn to Isaiah 55, verse 12. By the way, who has, a, who has a real Bible? You know, real Bible. Real Bible. <laughs> Always come with a real Bible. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12, speaks about another way of living, another way of, of being. It says this, You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I love this going out with joy and being led forth with with peace, with shalom and seeing that the created world opens up for us and all of God's creation joins in the celebration. That's a picture, and it was, it was a word given to Israel about coming out of bondage and coming into freedom, being delivered and being restored, about the new day that God had in mind. And it was a word that God had that was meant to apply to the Egypt generation the generation that he brought out of slavery. And it was a word that he had in mind for the Babylon generation, the one that would go into exile and then come out of exile and return to the land. But it's also, I think, God's word for what we could call today the Israel generation, the generation that he delivered from the Holocaust, the generation that, He delivered from death and bondage and slavery and brought into the reconstituted state of Israel in the land of Israel and those who he's bringing into the kingdom of God. God has in mind for us to be led forth with joy and to be led with peace. He's looking for us to embrace that And the question is, how do you embrace it? And I think a few verses earlier in Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, it gives us a picture, some simple instructions how to embrace this, this, this life. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. You see, there are times and seasons when it's easier to find God. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, go after Him, pursue Him. Call on Him while He is near. Then verse seven, let the wicked one forsake his own way, and the unrighteous one his own thoughts. Now that's interesting to me. to, to forsake one's way, it means not just to forsake your behavior but to forsake your temperament, your personality, your perspective, your normal ways. Not to consider yourself fixed in those ways. To forsake your thoughts. Wow, that's a harder one. The way you think. The way you think. And then here's the proactive positive present thing to do let him return to the lord so that the lord may have compassion and to our god for he will freely pardon that is so fascinating it's not just a matter of self-improvement it's a matter of turning to god We turn from the things that are habitual, the things that that we think are innate, the things that maybe we think define who we are. But when we are living in unrighteousness, they have a grip on us that's an ungodly grip. And those parts of us need to be redeemed in order to be restored. But the message of Moses and his fall, he fell And I don't mean he fell in such a way that he was no longer with God. He fell in such a way that he couldn't lead the children of Israel into the promised land. That's how the Lord put it. And we see when Moses appears on the Mount of Transfiguration and visits with uh, Yeshua in the company of Elijah, Moses and the Lord are still together. You get that? But Moses has fallen in a certain way and this gives us, I think, some understanding that you can be a believer, you can trust in the Lord and fall from that confidence that you have and that way of thinking and that, that way of living that you have and you can slip into something else. And so this applies to all of us, not just the wicked. If we, if we think about ourselves and we say, let the one who was trusting in the Lord but now is so disappointed they're not trusting God. Let that one forsake his ways. Let the one who had been confident in God, but but now has a million questions, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you do that? What's wrong with you? Let that one forsake his thoughts. You see, when we apply it to ourselves, then we can learn something. Let that one turn back to God. And then verse eight, and I, I'm so glad for a special understanding that, that I got about this because my wife got it. Sandy was the first one I ever heard speak about verse eight with a particular insight. Verse 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I had always read that as sort of a fatalistic assessment by God. You're different from me. But Sandy read it differently. That your ways are different than my ways. Your thoughts are different than my thoughts. But you shouldn't stay like that. You don't have to stay like that. You can become more like me. And that really... I think, is a key to understanding the passage and and precedes this passage of uh, being one who's led forth with peace. When we realize, oh, I'm not thinking the way God is thinking. I should change my thinking. When we realize "I'm, I'm walking in ways, my ways are not God's ways, I should change my ways that causes us to turn back to God and then he can lead us. And how does he lead us? He leads us with with peace. He leads us with peace. He delivers us from turmoil. You may be in a situation filled with turmoil, but God can lead you out with peace. Yeshua gives us insight about this. The New Covenant is filled with insight about this. Philippians chapter four, verse seven, it's a summary statement that Paul makes about what Messiah Yeshua can do for us. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Now this is important. It says the peace of God. Say that with me. The peace of God. That means God has peace the shalom that God has. You see, you have peace, and God has peace. Whose do you think is bigger? (laughs) Sometimes we're trying to manage our own peace, and we find it's inadequate, but by definition, it's inadequate. By its very nature, your peace and my peace is just a piece of peace. It's just a little bit of peace. It's a smidgen of peace. But God has peace. His peace is different. Do you think that in difficult times, God is like wringing his hands with anxiety? It's like, oh man, this is bad. I don't know what to do. I I, I give up. Some of us live this way, as if the scripture says, without worry, it's impossible to please God, because we worry so much. But what does the scripture say? Without faith, without faith, without trusting a faithful God and being faithful to him, it is not possible to please the Lord without faith, without trusting God. The peace of God surpasses our understanding. The peace of God will protect your, your hearts and your minds. It works for all of us the same way. God's peace is protective. And you can try to like control every negative thought, you can't do it. But the peace of God can shield you in such a way that you can consider negative realities, negative situations, and get God's perspective about how to be peaceful in your dealing with that negative reality. Little David the shepherd boy had the peace of God. Everybody else had their own worries about Goliath and and doomsday event that was in front of them, But David, went to Goliath and said, who do you think you are? And Goliath said, who do you think you are? And, and David basically said, well, I come in the name of the Lord, that's who I think I am. I'm the one who has God's peace. And I can imagine Goliath thinking, you little runt. I'll rip you apart. And that probably was a thought going through his head that moment before the stone hit him. (laughs) The peace of God. God has peace. And this this leads us to Yeshua's own words in John chapter 14, verse 27. Yeshua says, Peace I leave with you. My peace, say that with me my peace. Whose peace? Yeshua's peace. Yeshua is saying, I have peace. I have peace. And I'm giving it to you. It's my gift to you. I have peace for you. I have peace for you in this future situations that you're facing, in this current troubled times. I have peace even when there are times of blessing and ease, but I have peace for you, my peace. I leave with you peace, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. I'm giving you my shalom, my shalom. How many of us would like some of God's peace instead of our peace? Just stand to your feet and say, Lord, I need your peace. I want your peace. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. All shalom, Lord, is in your hands. And we think about you and we put our trust in you. We have confidence in you and we express that. We say to our souls, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Let us bless his holy name. And we say, we will not forget the benefits that you have for us. Your healing, your provision, your resurrection power. We, we say, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. You are Sar Shalom. All peace is under your authority. Your peace is superior. Your, your peace is greater than our peace. Your peace protects us. When our peace is insufficient, your peace is a shield for our thoughts and our emotions. When we can't even control ourselves, your peace will protect us. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. Lord, let us go out with joy and be led forth with your peace. We pray this in the name of Yeshua who truly is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing alone, move just enough so that you're not anymore. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you and guard you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine brightly on you. The Lord be gracious to you with his great favor. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Join us for coffee and fellowship next door at the Shalom Center.